We are so glad y'all are here to join us this evening. Merry Christmas, first of all. Would you guys stand and join us as we begin to worship our Savior? i 
Merry Christmas, everyone. It is good to have you here. You may be seated. If we have not had the pleasure of meeting, my name is Rob Zimmerman. I'm the lead pastor here at Westgate, and we are delighted that you have chosen to worship with us tonight. You know, here at Westgate, uh, our vision is to be a Jesus-centered community that is known for intentionally sharing God's love with our neighbors and the nations. And our hope is that tonight we will do that together, sharing the good news of God's love, his son who has come into the world as we worship together. So thank you again for coming and joining us this evening. Uh, this evening, our plan is that we have developed a service that is really meant for you to be able to sit back, to relax, to reflect on the good news of the Christmas story, and to worship. And so I hope that you will be able to do that well tonight. Hopefully as well, on your way in, you received a small bag, and inside of that bag are a few things. You can get some stuff if you have kids, but also a bag of a few items that we'll be using and talking about throughout the service. So if you were unable to get those, you can find them in the main entrance in the back as well. Hopefully you were able to pick up a candle for our candlelight portion of the service that'll take place at our closing. So please be sure to grab those uh, or get one from an usher uh, if you didn't get those on the way in uh, today. Now again, uh, I am just thankful that you have chosen to worship with us. I know many of you have young kids and we are so glad that they are here. We think at Westgate that there is no better place for a child to be than here within the body experiencing all that is going on and what we are learning about who God is. But if your child gets a little bit wriggly and you're like, you know what, I would love to give them a place to run. We have two places that are set up, one that is in our chapel just across the way, and then also in our larger auditorium, the refinery, uh, over uh, across of our atrium. And if you would like to, we have a live stream of both services in there. You don't need to feel the pressure to do so, but if you would like to do that this evening, that is one place that you could go as well. Again, we are thankful that you're here to worship with us, and I think one of the best ways that we can get started is to take a moment to turn around and greet someone that you haven't said hello to yet this evening and wish them a Merry Christmas. So stand and join me. Worthy. I want you to think about that word with me tonight. Worthy. What does it mean when something is worthy? If you were to look up a dictionary definition, you would see that it says that it is showing the qualities or abilities that merit recognition. 
In other words, if you graduate with a 4.0 from school, you're recognized as summa cum laude. In other words, you are worthy of the title. If you excel at your job and you receive a raise or a promotion, you're considered worthy of that recognition. If you excel in a sport and achieve the highest possible goals, you receive a trophy or even a scholarship and you are considered to be worthy of that honor. If you write a book and it gets published, you receive the title of author and you are considered to be worthy of that title. To be worthy means that you have earned the right to receive recognition. You know, when we begin to look at the Christmas story, actually towards the end of the Christmas story in Matthew chapter two, we have the account that we often think of at the Christmas season when the wise men came from the far east looking for Jesus. Now the wise men themselves were pretty worthy individuals and noteworthy themselves. Some people called them wise men. Other people called them the three kings. It could be a little bit confusing. But what they were was students of the stars. They were astrologers. And they studied the stars intently. And while we aren't told exactly what the exact link was, there was a specific star that had risen in the distance and somehow they knew that it was linked to a king an important king that had been born. And because of how important this king was, they knew that they must get to him. And so we read in Matthew chapter two, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. And then, opening up their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now in those bags you received as you walked in this evening, inside of each of those we've prepared and given you representations of these gifts that were given to Jesus. The probably most significant one is this gold coin. Actually, it's chocolate. You can enjoy it later. Very, very, very expensive chocolate, apparently. But it represents the gold that was presented to Jesus by these wise men. It was a precious metal that was synonymous with wealth and riches throughout civilization. It tells us not only did they give him gold, but they gave him frankincense. You'll see a small sort of clear stone that is there. Frankincense was a luxury import. It was the resin of a tree and it was used in incense and in perfumes. As well, you'll see that they were also giving to him myrrh the darker stone that is in that bag. And the myrrh was also another costly resin that was used in incenses and perfumes, but it also had a medicinal quality. But here's the thing that's important to note about each of these gifts that were given to Jesus. Each of the gifts that were given were very luxurious and incredibly costly. 
You see, the wise men weren't just bringing a few baby shower gifts to Mary, showing up with a bassinet or a stroller or a few diapers or a pair of clothes. What we read is that they brought gifts that were worthy of a king. Son is given, 
and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. To reveal the kingdom come and to reconcile the lost, to redeem the whole creation, you did not despise the cross. For even in your suffering, you saw to the other side, knowing this was our salvation, Jesus for our sake you Generally speaking, we aren't very fond of kings. When we hear the word king, typically one of two images comes to mind. The first is that of a corrupt leader who mistreats his people or is only out to serve himself. The second is of a meaningless figurehead who holds no real power. So what was it about Jesus that makes him a king? who holds great worth and value. You see, the prophet spoke of the Savior King that God would send into the world. And when they spoke of him, they talked about a king who would reign with wisdom, who would be the picture of perfect righteousness, and whose heart would be to deliver his people with great might 
and uphold justice throughout the land. That's the type of king any of us would long for. Certainly he was the king that Israel had longed for. But even more, maybe what makes him worthy to be our king is that he showed us just how much worth we have to him. He didn't come from a family of notoriety. He didn't come riding on a white horse with great wealth and social stature. He didn't come to meet with the big power brokers of our world. Rather, he came as a baby. A little baby born to a poor family. A young girl of no standing. Identifying with those who held, who felt powerless and hopeless. He came not just to rescue enemies, rescue Israel from their enemies, but he came to save us and give his very life for all people. You see, it isn't just that he's worthy to be our king but that he's proven just how much worth we have to him. And that's what draws us to worship. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name and his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever.
You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Us. Oh, come let us 
God is good. Amen. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and ever pining Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth A thrill of hope The weary world rejoices for yonder grace, a new and glorious morn will fall on your knees. Oh, hear the ancient voices.
more time His power and glory evermore proclaim Amen, Amen God praise, Amen from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they hurried and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary, she treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Excellent. Would you give these kids a round of applause for sharing the scripture's Christmas story with us tonight? Worthy. Worthy means that you have earned the right to receive recognition. And as we have moved through our worship and the reading of the Christmas passage tonight, one of the things that I believe we have seen clearly is that Jesus was considered and is worthy to be our king. You know, in the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews says it this way. In verse 1 of chapter 1, he says, Long ago, and at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. He remembers back to a time in the Old Testament when the prophets would speak. They would speak on behalf of God to his people And many of the prophecies that they would give would be of a coming king and a savior who was going to come into the world, but they were the mouthpiece of God. But then he continues and he says that not only did did, uh, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in verse 2 it says, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed to be heir of all things and through whom also he created the world. You see, he is setting up the understanding that Jesus is to be worthy, is is to be worthy to be our king and to be a king because of who he is by nature of being the very son of God who was sent into the world. And in verses three through four, he continues and he gives this picture that really sets up why it is that Jesus is worthy to be a king. He says that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty that was on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. When you boil it down, the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is worthy to be a king because number one, he owns it all. He made it all, that he is the creator of all things. He says that he reflects the complete radiance of God's glory and that he is the exact representation of God. In other words, that he is all-powerful. 
He continues to say that he sustains all things, that there is nothing that happens outside of his hand allowing it, and that because of this, he rules over everything. Jesus is worthy to be king. But what I want you to catch tonight is that Jesus, just because he's worthy to be king, does not necessarily make him worthy to be followed. Now, we have kings and presidents and dictators and world leaders today who have authority and power, and yet they abuse it often. Rather than having the best interests of their people in mind, they're only out for themselves. What was the same way at the time of Jesus' birth? You'll remember that in the story we looked at earlier with the wise men, that it talks about at the very beginning of that portion of Matthew chapter 2, that when the wise men came from the east into the area of Jerusalem, moving towards Bethlehem, looking for this child that has been born that would be king, that Herod, who was a king at that time, picked up wind that they were looking for this child that had been born to be a king. And there's something you need to understand about the type of person and type of ruler that Herod was. Herod was a power-hungry, power-thirsty king that was always and only looking out for himself. He was the type of king that set up palaces for himself all over the land where he would move constantly from palace to palace, not staying in one place too long because of his fear that if he were in one place too long, someone might devise a plan to kill him and to take his power from him so he would constantly move. He was a little bit crazy. But not only that, we read that Herod himself also was willing to kill any of his friends, even his family members, his own sons, if he believed that they were going to take his power from him. Kind of the whole capstone of Herod's life is just that maniacal. He himself knew that the people hated him. They didn't like him. He was so afraid to lose everything. But when the, it, it was clear that his death was approaching, historians tell us that Herod went and gathered up a ton of noblemen and put them into a theater so that they would be slaughtered at his death just to ensure that there were people that would cry and mourn when he died. Now, luckily, they were wise enough when he died to just let those people go. But this was the type of king, though he had authority and power, he wasn't worthy to be followed. And people definitely did not like Herod. Just because Herod was king, it didn't make him worthy to be followed. So what is it then that makes Jesus so worthy, not just to be a king, but to be our king? Well, one of the things that we need to understand is that tucked away in that small passage we just read, the writer of Hebrews gives us five simple words that make it clear as to why Jesus is worthy to be our king. He says that Jesus came and made purification for sin. You see, what the writer of Hebrews is reminding us is the story of scripture, the very truth of the gospel where Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That every single one of us that live in this life have rebelled and sinned against God and pushed him away, believing somehow that in ourselves we can find a happier or more fulfilled life without him. 
So all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Romans 6.23 also tells us that the wages of our sin and of our rebellion against God is death. And not just physical death, but spiritual death. An eternal separation from a God who loves us and wants to provide everything for us that can give us all of the hope and the peace and the joy that we long for. But if we reject him, the wages of that sin is certain death. But here's the thing. The writer of Hebrews reminds us, just as Paul did in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, that God did not leave us in that place of condemnation. Galatians 4 tells us this, that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. What Paul tells us there in the picture of the gospel when the writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus came to make purification from sin is that God sent his son, Jesus, into this world as a tiny baby, ultimately to come and to live but to die at the hands of his creation to pay the penalty for our sin so that that sin that separates us from God, the penalty can be paid and we can be restored in a right relationship with God, literally reconciled to him. Whereas we could not achieve that in our own strength, in our own power, he has paid the price on our behalf and we, it says here in Galatians, then receive as adoption as sons. God invites us as we place our faith in him into his family. And that is the reason that Jesus is worthy to be our king. He left the confines of heaven, a place where he was worshiped day and night around the throne of God by the angels and entered into the brokenness of our world simply to come and to die to pay the penalty for our sin. The world has never heard a greater love story of God's love for us. And so that is why not only is Jesus worthy to be king and is he worthy to be our king, but Jesus is also worthy to be worshiped and to be first in my life and in your life. But therein lies the problem. Don't we all love being first? We love to be first. You know, this past week I went out with some friends uh, to do uh, an activity for a Christmas party that I had never done before, and it was axe throwing. Anybody here ever go axe throwing before? Let me tell you something. It was fantastic. I loved every minute of it. You might see uh, a picture or two up here on the screen, but our our group went axe throwing together, and as I went, I just figured we're going to have a really good time. When I was young, I used to be a competitive soul, but I've kind of pushed that down and gone away from those days. And, uh, and, and I went in with a spirit of, we're just going to have a good time together. That is until one of our friends that was there with me, who will remain nameless, but she's sitting somewhere in these front rows, um, began to talk smack and began to, to rile us up. And there was this old thing that welled up inside of me. And I began to be hungry for victory. And so I began to try with everything that I could and began to talk a little bit of smack myself to go and to win. You might even see a picture of me here posing and gloating with my bullseye throw. Yes, it was rather magnificent and it happened many times. But as I 
as I went through the axe throwing competition and I moved from place to place, it came down to the very final competition to win the title. And ultimately, I lost to my good friend, Mike. And here he is in the picture in the middle, celebrating his victory with all of us after axe throwing together. You know, here's the problem. Whether I want to admit it or not, I love being first. And one day I'm going to take him axe throwing again and I'm going to beat him. <laughs> but we all love being first, don't we? You know, in your bags you received a gold medal that looks like this. And it's a representation for us of the fact that all of us love to be first. We, it seems, in our life are constantly striving to be first. We want to be first, whether that's first in an axe-throwing competition, whether it's first in the sport that we play, whether it's first when you're playing games tomorrow on Christmas in the afternoon, hoping to take your family members down, whether it's first to be in line, whether it's first in significance, whether it's first to open a present in the morning or to be the first to dinner. We want desperately to be first. But here's what I want you to catch. When you are first, everything else comes after you. But here's the thing. We will never win in this life at overcoming sin and its consequences of death. When left up to the order of this world and the way that things go, sin and death are completely undefeated. They win every single time. In our own strength and in our own power, no matter how hard we try, we will never win the gold medal over sin and death. But praise be to God that he sent his son Jesus into the world who conquered sin and death. Amen? He came into this world conquering sin and death, and herein lies the significance of the birth of Jesus Christ. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Jesus is worthy to be king. Jesus is worthy to be your king. But most importantly, he is worthy to be first in your life because he has showed you the depth of God's love for you and the fact that he came into this world to die and to give his life so that you could be with God forever. As you consider the significance of this Christmas story, Jesus is worthy to be king by nature of who he is as God's son. Jesus is worthy to be your king by nature of what he has accomplished and done for you. But even more because of that, he is worthy to be first in your life. So rather than striving to be first, as you reflect on the Christmas story this season, would you be willing to make the choice to make him first in your life? Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for this incredible reminder this evening of all that you have done 
in sending your son, Jesus, into this world. Truly, God, the scriptures are so clear. The Bible tells us that you sent your son into this world to be born to a family of nobodies, of no significance. Literally, the the announcement of your son came to lowly shepherds in a field, but it was brought by the heavenly host of angels who were singing praises to your son as he entered into the world. But as he came into this world to a family with no notoriety, as he was announced to people who had no standing, it's a reminder to us, God, that you have sent your son into this world for all people, for each one of us. And the beauty in that, God, is that there is no distance that we have gone from you. No rebellion so great, no sin so horrifying that we cannot be reconciled to you through your son Jesus who paid the price for our sin. And so tonight we worship you and we give you thanks because what you have given us is the greatest gift that we could ever be given. And my prayer tonight, Father, is that you would cause us as we reflect on this truth this Christmas season is that you would change the way that we celebrate. That rather than getting caught up in all of the lights and the fun and the movies and the meals and the gift opening and the excitement that goes with that that we would celebrate because we are reminded that the baby Jesus that came into this world was not just a story that was told and has been told time and time again but it was a real life account of the way that you have shown us the depth of your love for us. And I pray, God, that you would use that to draw us to a deeper place of worship of you every single day. Because truly, God, you are worthy to be first in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we move into this last portion of our worship together. We're going to be singing a couple of songs, and this will be the candle lighting portion of our service. And if you have young children, hopefully they got one of those nice little light up candles, and they can begin lighting those up at this time. And as well as you received a candle as well, we're going to have some people coming around and lighting your candles. And I would encourage you to just slowly pass the light side to side and forward to back as we light candles. But I do want to give you one simple instruction on the candle lighting. It is wisest when your candle is not lit to hold it straight up and down. If it's lit, you pour wax all over yourself. So just remember that. But as people are passing the light, when the, or I'm sorry, when the candle is actually lit, you want to take your unlit candle and touch it to the top and then light them and pass the light around the room. And we're going to use these next moments as we pass this light to be reminded of the light of the world that has come the beautiful Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's worship together. Stop. 
Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and we worship you again tonight. We thank you for the gift of your son. We ask, Lord, that as we go into our day tomorrow, that you would continue to fill our hearts and our minds, God, with your love for us, and that truly it would be the reason that we celebrate this Christmas season, because you are so worthy to be our king and to be first in our life. We love you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.
I want to thank you again for worshiping with us this evening. And again, if you don't have a church family where you regularly worship, we would love to invite you to come back and join us each week, Sundays at 9 and 1045. And with that being said, we wish you a very, very Merry Christmas. Have a great evening, and we'll see you next time.